It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hey, it's me, your gums. Now, your dentist is always telling you that you need to floss me more often. And I know that flossing me isn't the most fun activity, but something that could make it more fun is while you're flossing, you could listen to an episode of this podcast. Before we continue my first ever journey through the Harry Potter series, just a few quick announcements. First, if you're listening to this when the episode was released, that means there are just a few days left for your chance to enter our Potterless charity raffle over at potterlesspodcast.com slash raffledprince. We are raising money for three great organizations, and you can win some awesome Potterless prizes. You can learn everything about this raffle at potterlospodcast.com slash raffledprints, and it ends when March ends, so hurry up! On the other hand, to discuss something that is not ending in March, but beginning in March, as I've mentioned in some intros previously, I am launching a Kickstarter for a new podcast project that hopefully will become a podcast, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about it right now. So it is called Modern Muckraker. It is going to be a new podcast where I will be playing a character who is fully convinced that they are completing the world's most important investigative journalism, but in reality, the questions that we'll be answering on this podcast are things along the lines of, when should Spider-Man take the subway instead of web swinging. So my team and I will painstakingly research answers to these questions. We will have interviews with highly overqualified guests. So in the Spider-Man one, for example, we'll talk with folks at Marvel. We'll talk with physicists to break down the mechanics of web swinging. And we'll talk with people that work for the New York City Metro Transit Authority so that we have all the accurate information about the subway system. And we will arrive at an exact answer of when Spider-Man is better off taking the subway instead of web swinging. We've got a bunch of fun questions to answer, some coming from movies, TVs, books, different pop culture areas. I really want to make this podcast happen and we're doing a Kickstarter so that it can happen. I want to bring in a full team to make this podcast a reality. Writers, a producer, a sound designer, a researcher, and more. And I want to be able to pay these people what they are worth up front rather than do a Patreon or hope ad money comes in. I want to be able to give these people money right off the bat before they commit to working on the show. So that's why we're going with the Kickstarter for this one. If you want to learn more about the podcast or if you would like to support the Kickstarter, you can learn more about the show at modernmuck.com and you can support the Kickstarter, which will be live from March 30th. So tomorrow, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, from March 30th, 2021 to April 30th, 2021. And that Kickstarter link is bit.ly slash modern muckraker. So if you want to check all of that out and if you want to support it, I would really appreciate it. And sharing it really helps too if you can't support monetarily. So again, the website is modernmuck.com and the bit.ly for the Kickstarter is bit.ly slash modern muckraker. And it's going from March 30th to April 30th of 2021. And of course, I also want to thank our newest members of our team over at patreon.com slash Potterless. So shout out to Amy Go, Mac, Hoover Wind Tunnel, and Zebra Cakes. A name correction for Lily Zaitza and Neely. And a huge shout out to Tate Sasson, who upgraded to the producer level status, as well as our newest producer level patron, Sam Sam Reeb, who is having a birthday very soon. So happy birthday, Sam Sam. They join the ranks of Vicky, Christine, Aaron, Clown, Marchismo, Juan, Rosemary, Marie, Elisa, Audra, Eleanor, Nikita, Rachel, Zachary, Alex, John, Noel, Claire, Rory, Veronica, Lada, Noah, Tracy, Colleen, Jennifer, Justin, Jacob, Maya, Mark, Polly, Zina, Hardlin, Noelia, Nikki, Kine, Amanda, Kafir, Sarah, Marta, Maya, Floor, Georgia, Skyla, Adele, Professor, Threat, Ellie, Michael, Kelly, Kerry, Connie, Jen, Nedry, Will, Marcos, Marik, Ashton, Brittany, Phelan, The Meadows Family, Ginny, Heather, Kevin, Jarl, Peter, Jan, and Callahan, Leah, Bella, Melanie, Becca, Rees, Adam, Joseph, Madison, Tonks, Sabrina, Sophia, Farzan, Melanie, Matt, Okamahime, Bony Pony, Kelsey, Ricky, Taylor, Megan, Riley, Laurel, Erica, Miranda, Kendra, Natanya, Yogan, Darcy, Sandra, Craig, Leor, Demi, Michelle, Henrique, Casey, Megan, Sot, Jack, Sophia, Dane, Robin, Chick, Mermaid, Daddykins, Gregory, Kawkaw, Nina, Ribbon, Brittany, Gavin, Jack, Serenity, Emily, Haley, Sabrina, Jenna, Laura, Gila, Eileen, Annette, Kirsten, Hufflepuff, Brett, Mary, Artemis, Trans People, or People, Samantha, Nina, Tatiana, Taylor, Karis, Vomit Spiders, Tony, Joe, 
Punkfish, Warrior Warrior, Catherine Joe, Michael, Maya, Jasmine, Neely, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Butter? Who never finished something for work exactly one minute after they needed to leave in order to make the ferry on time, meaning that they have to wait an additional 45 minutes for the next ferry to get home. If you want to be like one of these amazing patrons and get access to our Discord or monthly live streams or bonus episodes, my notes, and more, you can head over to patreon.com slash Potterless. But without further ado, let's get into episode 170 of Potterless, our final Puffs interview, this time guest starring the cast and specifically members of the cast who played roles that were wildly different from each other. Hello, Internet, and welcome back to another episode of Potterless, the tale of a grown man who never read the Harry Potter series as a kid. He read them as an adult, then he watched Puffs in person and then digitally, and now he's talking to Puffs people. He's checking every Puff-related box. My name is Mike Schubert. I'm that grown man, and I'm here joined today by a lovely group of people who were all in the show in, I think, 89 trillion roles collectively. <laughs> I, I believe, if my math adds up, it's James Foey, Eleanor Phillips, Madeline Bundy, and Stephen Stout. Everyone, how's it going? Going great. Hey. Great. Lovely. <laughs> oh, wow. You did that all. Not everyone responded at the same time. You're so patient with each other. Look at that. It's almost like you've acted before many a times. So <laughs> I have you four specifically on because I've identified you four as the actors who played the roles that were the most wildly different from one another. Now, I know that for some of you, you've played like 12 different roles as opposed to James's just Cedric and, and Mr. Voldy. But I think one of the most fun things about Puffs is how different the roles can be for some of the different actors. So to go from Cedric, universally beloved person that we all love for the first half of the play into terrifying villain that we all despise for the second half and you know madeline going from Susie bones afraid of everything to harry potter stumbling into success throughout the whole play i think that is so fun so what is it like to be in roles that are so wildly different from each other in the same play fun <laughs> <laughs> oh she said it folks we got it <laughs> that was my really, really thorough answer for you. It's, no, it's very fun. I mean, it's like it's such a gift from Matt to be able to do something so different over the course of 90-ish minutes. Yeah, and to be able to tonally kind of be in something that's like I'm incredibly silly and over the top with a giant googly eye on my face. And then, you know, after 90-ish minutes, be like, oh, we're two human beings talking in the white room. Anything like that. So, yeah, it's really lovely to be able to go on that journey through all the different voices that we end up doing. Yeah, like everyone said, like, it, it is fun, you know, of course, like you're in a play. So it is like it does feel like play to be able to, like, bounce back and forth from, like, opposites. Um, but hopefully if you're also if you're good and <laughs> with enough practice and hopefully comes across as a bit of a magic trick to see everybody, you know, uh transition from these characters uh, back and forth very quickly, especially when you're like Ellie and Steve and you, it's not just like dueling back and forth between Harry and, and Susie, but you're also like, you're doing, you know, six professors uh, back to back to back. It should uh, come across as a bit of a magic trick, hopefully. Yeah. When we were starting the show and when Matt was writing it, part of the fun was always going to be how are, how are we able to uh, make this very epic story get very small and contained and so that's things where it's like well if there's a female member of the staff uh, that's going to be played by Ellie if there's a male member of the staff that's going to be played by me and that's going to be easier for the audience to be able to find when they go around follow while they watch the show yeah for me one of my favorite moments of every show was the slow ripple of realization through the audience of how I had returned. Yes. <laughs> there are definitely some audience members that would come up to us and they act, they like double checked that that was you, James. Yeah, <laughs> no, I thought that it was... They were like, was that Cedric? <laughs> we were way into it, way into the run when, when um, someone said that they had come back and seen the show for something like the third or fourth time and just realized then. Wow. <laughs> you know? Did they think that you, that other you just didn't take a bow? Yeah, yeah, Voldy pieced out. <laughs> Voldy was like, I, I refuse to bow with the rest of this cast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would say it, it, the show is so fun and so playful. For me, The even with only two, they're so different from each other that it felt like a different experience. 
you know, where you go from Cedric where he's so supportive and about other people and he's helping with so much little business that's happening too. And then Voldy is just all about himself. And towards the end of the show, that's a really nice place to get to. Just looking <laughs> to something comfortable. I feel like you had so much more fun when you hit that half of the show and you were like, oh, I don't have to do anything anymore, but hang out in my robe and hold my oh, glass. Yeah. And like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Chill in the background. All the layers I wore for quick changes, just shedding those. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's so fun. Okay, so now I'm going to do a round of asking people individual questions because then the listeners at home can be like, ah, I know who's talking now and I can put it into perspective. (laughs) So I'm going to start with Eleanor because you're in the top right of the Google call and uh, that makes sense for number one. Great. (laughs) So you played a lot of the different professors, but you also played Xavier Jones. So similar to how James just described going from good guy to freeing his villain to be McGonagall or Sprout or, you know, Professor McGee, Professor Sprouty. And then you become what at first appears like a Bellatrix comp until you learn you're a bit of a softie. Just was that also freeing to to go towards that at the end of the play? Or how does it feel to do one versus the other? I definitely had a lot of fun playing Xavier, but I think I think it was more stressful for me to do the year <laughs> six one because that was oh god, this is such a this is such a non-fun answer, but it was at the point of the play where I really needed to pee most of the time. And I was always really stressed because everyone else was like, oh, year six is when I get a break. And I was like, yeah, because there's four of us on stage who don't get a break. No, even Zach kind of got a break. And and yeah, so I was always very, very stressed out that I had to get through, get through that. And it was also kind of, it, it was a challenge that I think, especially Julie and I, took a, it took us a while to get there because... It's so late in the play to meet someone new. I mean, you have sort of met her earlier on, but um, it's a it's a pretty late point to come in and and give a lot of exposition, and so that was always kind of a challenge to to get through that scene. But then once I got to do the battle scene later as Xavier, like that was a quick change into it. But that was always way more fun because at that point I just got to kind of have just make big goofy sounds and yell at Julie. It was great. Always fun. Always fun to make big goofy sounds. (laughs) Steven, question for you. Something particular that I noticed you did when you changed from all the different characters is that you have a different hairstyle for every character. So you have the, you know, the comb over side part for Ernie Mac and then straight down the middle for Snape. Was there a, a distinct total number of hairstyles that you had? And then was that just one other thing that you had to add to like, oh, I have to wear my cloak this way, but also I got a middle part. It felt like a lot, but I did appreciate it a whole heck of a lot. Yeah. So I was, uh, in addition to playing all the male teachers, I was one of the original producers of the show. So it was a thing where it was like, oh, we have no money. So if I can make a costume that is literally a slight readjustment of my hair, we can spend that, you know, five bucks on somebody else's cool thing. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, it was very intentional. It also became, because uh, when we did a, we, uh, when we first did a public reading of the show, when we, before we did a run of it, we did about like two public readings at this comedy theater in New York called The Pit. And when we got to the bit where I was reading The Potions Professor, I was like, oh, this will be clear in addition to me doing the voice is if I just drag all my hair in front of my eyes and face. And then uh, that led to me having to keep the same haircut for the better part of four years. (laughs) Was there a particular hair product that you found gave you the ability to keep your hair in place but also move it aside? Uh, I think it was my limp Irish genetics (laughs) that uh, really uh, contributed to the proper amount of flop. Um, which I also, you know, it's a tribute to the many uh, uh, multifaceted British character actors in, you know, the franchise itself uh, and their uh, various floppy hairstyles. That's great. I know Puffs is expanding where there is, you know, you can buy the rights to licensing and play it at a high school. I would love to see if you get into the merch department and you make limp, uh, <laughs> limp Irish heritage hair goop. Oh, that could be very I'm fun. I'm already <laughs> Googling the URL and none of the results are pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> so, Madeline, you had one of my favorite performances just as as being Harry, but specifically channeling Harry in a way that I think captures the essence of 
everything just going right for him. And I think it works perfectly well to Wayne's just frustrations towards things working out for Harry. Was was there any particular thought process you had of just taking Harry and being this way of like, oh, wow, everything's great. Oh, look, I've caught the remember all. Like really early on when Matt told me like, oh, I'm, I think I'm going to have you play Harry. I was like, I told Matt, I was like, oh, he should have like, sort of this Mary Poppins, like he walks into a room and just like fixes everything kind of attitude. <laughs> There's just, there, it, everything is just always a spoonful of sugar, which is not necessarily how he is in the the official books or movies, but that's how I would imagine people who didn't like him very much would see him. So just embodying like the, like it's just pra- yeah, practically perfect uh, cherry on top attitude. Yeah, it's always fun to see Harry, especially when it's on the side of the stage, like something not even front and center, just to see something go right for him off stage and just anger Wayne or do whatever. I think it's always really fun just how it constantly seems to come throughout the play of just like, oh, there's Harry over on the side doing the main plot without even trying. I think it's fun too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that came across. <laughs> And James, when you finally get to be Mr. Voldy and you've got, at least in the the recorded version that I most recently watched, you've got the green swimming cap mm-hmm. and the bathrobe. And is it is it just scotch tape on the nose? Uh, that's medical tape. Medical tape on the nose. Okay. Yeah, for the medical condition of not having a nose. <laughs> ah, okay. I see. I see. So when when you get to be Voldy and you've got just the creepiness level of just the introduction of the massage and the kissing of the hand and the new way you're speaking. Is there any preparation that goes into trying just to be such a ridiculous, over-the-top villain? <laughs> a little a, a little bit. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of uh, enjoying previous performances of that role and thinking that in all their over-the-topness, they're actually great and wonderful. The thing I would always tell myself before going on stage is that I am the most beautiful creature that has ever existed. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and I'm never, you know, I don't think going to perform it again so I can tell you these things. It's not ruining my process. But I would take a moment and I would tell myself that there had never been anything as beautiful as myself, that I was the greatest creation, and that it was time to show everyone so that they could understand it. That is beautiful, James. Oh, my God, James, I love that. Yeah, it's a really nice place to be in. Like, you know... <laughs> The, the Cedric thing is so wonderful, but to just be like, I'm going to put on something comfy, and now it's all about me, this and is I know me. I'm the best, and no one has ever lived their ideals as fully as I live mine. Like, right down to my body and what I oh am. Oh, my goodness. Wow. It's really great. Wow. I like it. I mean, I think there is a Voldemort quote. I can't remember if it's in book seven or in or in Chris Child, but there is one point where he calls himself, like, the most special wizard like he calls himself like i'm the most important person basically so yes. i think that tracks for the character acting yeah and why should the most important person ever die yeah, yeah true <laughs> it true, doesn't true. even make any sense i need to embody some of this positive attitude in my real life <laughs> <laughs> have the confidence of a supervillain. thank you james <laughs> you've given us a gift today <laughs> you're welcome you're very welcome it feels good <laughs> Now I'm just imagining you like in the costume as a motivational speaker, like giving a TED talk and I'm really enjoying it. That's just for me. In case you were wondering. You could do cameos. Yeah. We'll set it up. Twenty bucks, you do a you do a little like you you're you know, you're good enough, you're smart enough and guard darn it, people like you. Yeah. For you know, people on the internet. The other thing is I mean, stuff like the hug and the awkwardness of that is a person who is not a person who's playing at people. <laughs> I've seen you and the way you animals interact. I can do that too if I need James to. James <laughs> You're just the best. He once again topped all of us and we're done. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, amazing. So, James, you had mentioned something of, of taking a little bit of other performances. So, for all of you, when you're playing these roles that either you have read about the character in the main series or you've watched the movies. When it comes to playing all the different roles, is there a particular inspiration where, oh, I like this thing that this actor or actress did in the movies that I want to emulate? Because I do feel like everyone put their own spin on the character where it does feel like you're not doing a underscore impression. But there are still those moments that make it very clear, like, oh, that's definitely a a McGonagall thing. That makes sense. How do you all toe the line of 
taking inspiration from something that exists and a character rendition that is out there without just someone saying like, oh, he's doing an Alan Rickman impression, which I do not think is how Snape comes across. So how does that all work for all of you? I think it was really important for us when we were starting that it was like, None of it. We're we're never going to go out there and say any of this is dumb or any of these people gave bad performances or anything like that. It's more about like what we can take from their tiny details to celebrate how awesome they were in these roles, if that makes any sense. And then sort of plug it into our little narrative. And similar to like Harry is seen through the, you know, Wayne's eyes, and that's how that characterization makes sense in Puffs. Um, it's the same thing of like within the brief interactions that our golden trio has with their faculty or et cetera, this is how they come off. But I mean, like for me with uh, the thing that was really important with like Rickman, for example, was he, it's yeah, he pauses a lot and he has very specific phrasing, but it's super awesome and always right. <laughs> and it's why like all those things end up being these like iconic quotes and so forth. So for me, it was important to honor that and be as, you know, frustrated as he endlessly was by all the little children flitting about him. Yeah. Uh, it was really important for me not to seem like I was making fun of Daniel Radcliffe's performance, especially when he was younger, because that is a child right. learning how <laughs> to act. And that didn't seem very much like in the puff spirit to like make fun of uh, his acting in any way. But there was something that I really loved from his performances early on, which is that I feel like you can see Daniel Radcliffe really trying to do a good job. <laughs> and there's an earnestness in that. And that definitely, like, I try to embody some of that. Like, everything has that intention of, like, I really mean what I say. I'm trying to be, you know, very positive about the moment. I tried. So that that was sort of, like, I would say he's more, like, inspiration. <laughs> okay. But it was really, yeah, it was really important. To, I didn't want it to come across as, like, oh, she's really making fun of him. <laughs> <laughs> no, it makes sense. But also because I think his performance is, especially as the movies go on, is generally regarded as, uh, as pretty great. Mm -hmm. I think people really cherish what he does with that part. Yeah, definitely. And I, on the flip side of that coin, all of you play roles, either characters that weren't very much fleshed out in the series. You know, Hannah Abbott is mentioned like twice, so we don't really get a whole lot of character development there. And even someone like Cedric, who he's there, but when you think about it, we don't know that much about him, except for that he's popular and he's a champion. So on the opposite end, when you're all in roles where you are not necessarily emulating or taking bits from a well-defined character, what kind of process do you go in of saying like, well, this is what Susie's going to be like, or this is what Anna's going to be like, etc.? I think one of Matt's best skills as a writer, especially a comedy writer, is to uh, write towards like kind of our own archetypes. I feel like for me, as you know, Susie and versus Harry, I definitely both embody impish positivity, <laughs> but also on the polar opposite, kind of dark and disturbed and maybe a little creepy. Um, so that, and I love women who are complicated and disturbed and bizarre because I think there needs to be a lot more female characters like that out there for people to be able to play. So that's kind of what I try to embody in that Susie performance. I don't know if you feel the same way, Ellie, about Hannah. But oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I think Matt, especially for the characters where it was sort of more once he figured out which one of us was doing which track, like in terms of which which puff we were going to be, then it sort of became fleshing them out based on us. Yeah, so I think Hannah would be, as maybe is evident, a lot of who I am, very <laughs> socially awkward, very uh, uncomfortable with talking to people. And, <laughs> um, and yeah, generally like, uh, unclear as to what I should be doing in any given um, room or situation. Um, and then on top of that, a lot of the jokes were about like just my height in comparison to most of everyone else on stage. So it was like, how she's, she's tall. Like let's, what's funny about that. And, and then Xavier is more like, I guess what, what I, that wasn't really written for me even like it, it was developed for me, but originally that was going to be Nick. 
it's going to be Xavius, ah. and Nick Carrillo is going to play that part, and then it was switched. So yeah, no, I think I think Hannah is definitely more um, me. And then for me with Ernie, the point was everybody else is really quirky and awesome and funny, so I shouldn't compete with that. I should just be kind of like the person who's just kind of happy to be there. <laughs> and then, you know, I'll have all my cake when I get to play all the wacky other characters. Makes sense, makes sense. For Cedric, there's only a few key moments that you can take, you know, from the official books where you're like, okay, like, who is this guy? Why do people like him? You know, why is he cool, quote unquote? And one of the big ones to me is the... Uh, when um, Harry collapses at the game and it's Cedric doesn't just want to win, he wants to win the right way, which is in opposition to some of the other houses, right? And also that I always remember <laughs> that uh, he's able to talk to who we call Frenchie <laughs> and keep his cool and not make an ass of himself. He's got a girl he's interested in that's not her. It's okay. We can stand here and chat in the hall. And she can really try to put it on and use her super seductive powers. And that's okay. <laughs> Right. Like he's he's not going to become a fool. And I think that the idea of a person who's cool like that and is also positive in a puff sense is somebody that just has a really great sense of themselves. That's worked through some stuff that has been in the place that a lot of the first year characters are in the play when we first meet them and has come out on the other side of it. And so it's it's his kind of cool, quote unquote, is is being somebody who is grounded and positive and supportive and that people do actually like being in a room with someone like that. You know, even if it's not a traditional cool. Yeah, open and like non-judgmental. And earnest. And earnest, which I think is you, James. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I really like the portrayal of Cedric. I like that his way of being cool is not the traditional, or at least when I was in high school, way of being cool, which was making fun of as many people as you can and just being a huge bully. It's kind of like when I watch The West Wing and I think, oh, I wish politics were like this. <laughs> Watching you as Cedric James is like, I wish every popular kid was like this. The world would be such a better place. If we were all puffs. It reminds me of like that uh, that athletic kid in high school you knew who was also friends with a lot of the drama club people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like a person who's not criticizing you just because like your interests are different from everyone else's yeah it's hard to find somebody in high school who is really secure in their position in the world and among their peers because that i think that is that is what that takes you have to like know who you are so it's okay that you like different things amidst different groups of people it's also a thing that's built in so that when we do lose him it hurts even more yeah it's it's funny to go like oh we set out to do this you know, wizard comedy that we knew from the start would have a nice big old bummer in the middle of what the show is. And we're going to, you know, break you down and go into the dark place. And then we're going to come build back up like that. You know, similar to how the franchise itself ages with its audience, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The other thing that was really important for me with Cedric and that I loved that you did, James, was um, he still has these little record skips of puffiness <laughs> he's cool and he's together and he's confident and he's building up those around him but he still falls into our weird little target of puffs mermaids again <laughs> etc <laughs> yeah i was like the idea that like the the difference in him is not that he doesn't mess up it's that he's okay with messing up yeah james and the, those little hiccup moments and those things that happen where it's like oh yeah he is a puff he's just He's okay with being a puff. Yeah, it's like the line that you eventually go on to say to Wayne, where you say the best part about being a puff is that you get to fail and every failure is just an opportunity to learn, which I think is one of the most touching moments of the play. And yeah, I think it, it really shines through in how you play Cedric. Thank you. That's another thing from the books that like rereading them, I was like, oh, he's good at magic. That's the thing to remember, too. Like, somehow he got there. Definitely. And somehow we got here. Hey, it's me, Editing Mike. How's it going, everyone? You know what's up? We got to take a little bit of a break here for Wingardium Adridosa. Today's episode is brought to you by another podcast that I help create, Horse. Horse is a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses. Every other week, I am joined by my buddy Adam Amawala, and we discuss just the entertaining elements of the NBA and the WNBA. We will talk about player drama. We will talk about Twitter beefs. We will talk about cool uniforms. We will talk about significant trades and hirings and firings and all sorts of fun stuff. We talk about things that are currently going on in the leagues, and we also share wild stories from basketball back in the day. 
Whether you are already a fan of basketball and you want something that's more lighthearted around the sport you love, or if you have no idea what basketball is and you want to get a bit more of an understanding about the sport, Horse can be a great gateway for you. So no matter where your basketball fandom lies, Horse is the podcast for you. We are breaking down gates and we are open for everyone. You can listen at horsehoops.com or search Horse wherever you listen to podcasts. And now you'll hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me, others of them won't. The ones that aren't are inserted locally, so if you live internationally, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in your country's native language. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of Potterless. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. This episode of Potterless is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, Neville Longbottom is someone who likes to collect cards. He likes to collect the chocolate frog cards. And it's got to be a frustrating experience for him to be ripping open all these chocolate frog things, hoping for particular cards. What if there was slightly less randomness in the mix? What if he had a better sense of what cards he could get? Ooh, that sounds like something that could intrigue you if you were trying to get muggle versions of trading cards and stuff. And if that's interesting to you, you should check out Arena Club. Arena Club is a website and service where you can do all sorts of things in the world of trading cards, whether that is sports trading cards or Pokemon cards, you can utilize Arena Club and they have so many cool things. One of the coolest things that they have is slab packs. Slab packs give you more transparency when it comes into ripping open packs and hoping for particular cards in a pull. And I recently opened up a slab pack with Arena Club and it was nice because rather than it just be like this complete black box of I have no idea what cards I'm going to get, they show you a list of, oh, here are the different cards that you could get from this pack. Here's the percentages. And then what's also nice about it is that if you don't like whatever card you get, you can just sell it right on back to Arena Club and then boom, you can take those funds and use them to get other cards because they also have a full marketplace where you can search for individual cards. I did that as well. I wanted to get a particular Pokemon card. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu. It's holographic. It's beautiful. I'm looking at it right now and it's proudly in my studio. Arena Club is a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, display, minting, all sorts of good stuff. If you are involved or interested in any sort of card collecting, trading cards, stuff like that, I think Arena Club will be right up your alley. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash potterless. Wow, that's a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slap pack, for example. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash potterless for 10% off your first purchase. So check that out if you want to have a little less randomness in your life, whether it is with muggle trading cards or chocolate frog cards like Neville today. Something in the play that I thought was particularly fun, just one particular scene highlights it the most with Ellie and Steven, where you are where you are on opposite sides of Wayne in one of the years and you're just rapid fire becoming every single teacher. <laughs> that feels like something that you have to practice almost like a dance routine of all the different things you have to do. How was preparing for and then performing that consistently? Because it feels like the highest chance of messing something up. At first, it is very uh, like very pat your stressful. belly and rub your head or rub your belly and <laughs> pat your head. And eventually it just becomes like, yeah, like a dance. You know it. Oh, yeah. We, we had this thing that happened where it's like the show kept leveling up as we kept running. So like we our costumes would change or we'd get a new prop or something. And so like one time we got entirely new wands in the run up to the movie. And I knew that that was suddenly like. Oh, I know for four moments where I have to do these quick changes, this is like having a new dance partner. And so, like, this might be two years into this, but now it's, you know, just nerve wracking again for a moment. Um, But Ellie, I feel like you had much more high wire versions of this with me. Like you have that dance with AJ where you have to do the. Yeah. Well, that one was really hard. That was the one in year 
I feel like the year one one was, yeah, definitely like very stressful at the beginning. And then by the end, it was something where like, yeah, I mean, we'd be joking around and that would be the way it would get stressful again would be like, oh, was I paying attention? I mean, we were very professional. About it. <laughs> but uh, but no, I think the scariest one for me was was. Well, no, the wand toss was the scariest for me. But yeah, the dance with with me and AJ was Kristen McCarthy Parker, our director, was like, "Eh, it doesn't look hard enough when you're changing characters in year three, where I do sort of all the different classes and the trio comes out at different points to take class and I just sort of stay on stage. And she was like, how complicated can you make like, can we add a costume change? Can we add props? Can we add something to make it look harder? <laughs> so we had to sort of just, like, figure out what we could do and talk with Madeline about what she could make for us and what we could sort of find having around that we could add in to make it harder. So that that was very stressful for a period. And then, like, yeah, once you get used to it, once, it's, once the dance is there, you're fine. But, yeah, anytime there was an understudy going on, that was something that we'd have to drill because you just sort of either know where you're handing it to or you don't. But, no, for me, the scariest part was always the wand toss uh, in the Xavier scene. They sort of get the wands and I have to throw it like they're pulling it from my hands and then throw the one across the wall and pocket it. And I think I never got comfortable with that. (laughs) I think I was scared every time I did that for the entire time I did the show. (laughs) Uh, now, you had mentioned that, Madeline, you did all of the props and costume stuff. Like, I, I saw design. when I was looking on Wikipedia, it was funny to see where it was like, this person played 70,000 roles. Oh, also, by the way, did a whole bunch of other stuff. So beyond just acting, what all did you have a hand in? So, yeah, by the time we got to New World Stages, I just had collected the props costume list. And, uh, and then we needed a brand new set. And I was there. So... <laughs> So I didn't do the sound, um, Matt did the sound, and then we had a lighting designer. Uh, but everything physical on, on stage I designed, which honestly, it, ju- it happened kind of gradually. And it was really just because, oh, a couple reasons. It was really hard to explain to people that the show couldn't look like the official world. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was really important to me that the whole thing looked like a giant piece of fan art. Because that's that's what it is. It's you know it's it's a written piece of fan art, and you know we're fans making this thing, so that it should reflect that. Uh, but also, you know, just to avoid a big lawsuit yep. was uh-huh. super important, sure. so that we could keep going. <laughs> and it was surprisingly difficult to get people to under because you'd have a meeting with someone and they'd be like, "Yeah, but you want it to look like the other thing, really, right?" Like, no, 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 no. It sh- it needs to look like this. So, and you know, we just never had time. We never had a lot of time going from space to space. So it just kind of always seemed faster or more convenient to be like, okay, Madeline, just do it. <laughs> and I was there and I have like, a, I love building props. And that was a huge part of my education in college was I did a lot of prop and costume design. So um, I think it just, it just made sense. For, and Matt and I had built some other shows together. So it just kind of made sense. Well, the, the other world is so visually iconic. So your brain kind of like overlays it on yeah, the show that you're watching like, anyway. You can't read you, the, this world in our zeitgeist is so brainwashed into our heads. Like you can't tell an audience like, okay, it looks like this now they're coming in with that world anyway. So they can kind of overlay uh, what they know on top, you know, as like a kind of like a a mental skin on top of, you know, so you you don't have to spoon feed them the information they know because they've seen the movies and they've read the books. Yeah. And it's the thing where the other guys have all the money and we don't have all the money. So that's also part of it. Yeah. Dramaturgically, it makes sense for everything to be kind of like uh, sparse and rustic. (laughs) We're in the basement. (laughs) Because we're in the basement. And, you know, I sort of imagined like all these kids are in the basement and they're sort of grabbing what's been left into the depths of the castle. They're sort of decorating with that stuff. It was also the thing that we talked about where it's like various wizard families seem to decide what like century their clothes are from and they just keep that unified so there's like some wizard families that are like oh we dress dapper and this is very modern and then you have some people who are like we're in medieval robes and so forth so the sort of like eclecticism of it was also always really yeah it's definitely that's definitely an excuse to kind of like you can kind of pick whatever you want because all of these wizard families dress (laughs) in different ways so you can have like you can have your ghosts wearing like a Shakespeare ruffle and you can have Jay French wearing suspender like contemporary suspenders and it all seems to make sense. <laughs> yeah. 
No, I think it all worked. I think I think the props and the way the set looks makes for a really nice vibe of it feels much like the pups. It feels like comfortable and it feels like it doesn't look low budget, but it looks like simple and perfectly done. That like there, nothing is over the top. Me. You've got the doors, you've got the props. Because <laughs> I mean, and some of the the stuff is really impressively done. Like the the puppetry of the Dementor or the dragons. Like it doesn't look like oh they just like rinky dink put this together. It's this thing of like oh it fe- like it feels puffy in the way that it's presented. So I think it comes across really well. And what you said about overlaying it really that's really smart. It makes a lot of sense because yeah you can you don't need like castle stuff. You know they're in a castle, so you can just kind of let it be. Yeah, exactly. That was something like my theater training said, which is like, if your character says it in the script, like they're literally saying something to the audience, you might not need to put it on stage visually. It's already in that person's brain. And we and we as audience members, like we like filling in the blanks. It's like almost like solving a puzzle that's satisfying to us. That's really cool. So I had just talked with Matt about how the show came to be and the initial runs and how it grew and everything. And one thing he had pointed out was, James, you weren't in the initial casting, right? You were a later addition to the production? Yes, yes. After it was at the pit, when it was going off Broadway to the Electric Theater, uh, is where I came in. So what was it like for you to be one of, if not the only new people to come into something that had already sort of formed and Matt made it seem like a lot of the roles were kind of written either for people or in conjunction with people? What was it like for you to be the the newcomer, the Wayne, if you will? <laughs> yeah, there was an extra pressure on it. I did still get to have the feeling that he was writing stuff for me because Matt never stops working unless he's forced to. <laughs> okay, all right. All so right. he was there in rehearsal every day, typing away, even in the rehearsals that I was a part of, you know, in the month leading up to uh, the show moving. And even at the end, he was writing new bits for Voldy and... Uh, you know, for his interruption on the megaphone that I was still learning in the last weeks of my part of, you know, the two years that I was in it. So I did, I did get to, I did get to feel that thing of something living and changing and uh, feeling like he was thinking of me. But on the other hand, when I first arrived and everyone else is completely off book and is revising blocking that they already know, it felt like being a clockwork piece that showed up to a working Big Ben (laughs) and was told like, hey, Come on, get in there. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> we got a chime coming in an hour. You need to get in there. You know? <laughs> oh, that's fun. I mean, it definitely worked. It it all comes through and it seems like the chemistry is all there. So it's it's good to know. And yeah, Matt was saying that he he even though they had auditions like knew you and ran into you, I think, at another show and was like, Oh right, I really like James. I should cast him as Cedric because James is great. So I'm glad that you were able to come into the group and and meld. It, it all feels like it all worked out from the shows that I saw. Oh, yeah. Nicest audition I've ever been to. Like, Steve was one of the people across the table just smiling at me at the end of it. Oh, yeah, because literally we were racking our brains. We're like, well, who's going to hit all the different things that this part needs to be, including the, you know, like, you have to be this... Because there's people who can be, like... I am very attractive and confident. I look good in my underpants for the moms. <laughs> Never forget the moms. Uh, but, you know, I can't do really weird old guy British comedy for the back half of the show. And so when Matt went, what about James? It was like clouds parting. So when you came into the room and confirmed that that was indeed the case and we would be okay... <laughs> Uh, it was, it, you know, like, you gave me a gift, James. Aww. You gave me a gift. It's nice to have someone look at you that's a friend across the table after an audition like that. It's really nice. But yeah, it is. A, it is. I, the, we talk about how different the roles are. My wife, then girlfriend, had said that, like, you know, this, like, this is your center range. That, like, the, the idea is Cedric and, like, this, oh, hey, I'm a nice guy. And then, like, I'm also a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> The second half. Yeah, your acting reel can just be like, just watch Puffs and you've got the alpha and the omega of my my acting ability and that's all you got to do. And me. Hey. So, Stephen, you were a the original producer of the show. What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea what that entails. I would love to learn. Well, my my facetious answer that is also true is um, it's getting people, objects, and eventually, you know, like an audience into a room at particular points in time. For something like this, it's about like 
we're making this initially with very few resources. So, like, how do we intelligently muster the tiny amount of Kickstarter money we have to make this thing feel like a million, a million bucks? In addition to that, the thing that I kind of do with uh, me and Matt in our collaborative relationship is uh, we just endlessly are talking about the story and how we revise the story and how we tweak it so it's not exactly what you thought it was going to be when you came in. Like, with this specifically, we knew we weren't the first people to do, like, a Potter parody. So it was, like, everybody else has staked out this territory already. So for for me, it's about, like, oh, we're building this earnest experience, so then how do I also reflect that in what our marketing language is? Or what our poster is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How are those extensions of the story that you're going to experience when you give us your hard-earned money and come to a part of New York where you don't live at a time of night when otherwise you could be at home watching Netflix to experience a thing by people you don't know? So it's kind of like ensuring that handshake between somebody rolling the dice on seeing a thing. It's everything from fundraising, marketing, helping with the plot development, et cetera, in whatever way that Matt feels feels he needs to be coached, et cetera. And then just people management, making sure we get the right team together and then supporting talented people and realizing what they want to do within our limited resources. That's awesome. It seems like a a daunting but rewarding role. So I'm glad you're able to to make all of that work. Going back to acting for a little bit, just because of the nature of the show with all of the costume changes and all of the props and all of the in and outs of doors, is backstage just a mess of stuff? Like, I feel like behind what we can see from the audience, there just has to be hats upon, scarves upon, props. What is it like to be behind the stage? And is everything, like, meticulously put in particular areas? How does that all shake out? Because it feels like there's a lot going on. And at no point does it look like you don't have it nailed down. So it feels like backstage has to be a production. It's a ballet. That was, again, something that had to be figured out every time we moved spaces. Yeah. And so it just kind of got better and better. The real challenge was for the first two locations of the show at the pit and then at the Electra Theater, we were sharing the space. So we had to have something that could break down and be stored after every show. So after... The space would clear. We'd go get our stuff, which was largely in bins. We'd set it up where everything was in a different cubby or on a different surface or was where we needed it. Then we'd set up anything that we could, you know, to add to the space. And then at the end of the show, we'd have to break everything down. I say we we didn't have to do it once we moved to the Electra. We had an incredible team of stage management who largely handled that. But Madeline was still responsible for a lot of it. And so I remember when we finally moved to New World Stages, like having the uh, the day where Madeline was like, oh, I can actually build cubbies for everything. I can put hooks on the walls. Like, where do you need things to be so that we can make this happen? At first, it was definitely like, chaotic (laughs) you know when you're getting used to the new space and you definitely have like backstage you definitely have to choreograph like how you move around each other (laughs) but yeah I mean we were at New World for so long it it definitely became like a choreographed dance backstage and everything had its place and it's also like it that's extremely helpful because if something goes wrong your brain is able to problem solve (laughs) Uh, much more easily because it's like your brain actually, you know, now knows where everything is. Yeah. uh, To piggyback off of that, um, we had one performance where inexplicably the ceiling started leaking (laughs) and we had to uh, (laughs) add a bunch of like rain buckets like from a 1930s cartoon to the center of stage. There was a bit when, you know, the second weird mirror moment where it opens and now we see that the trio is satisfied and they're together, etc. So like the advantage of knowing where everything is was I knew at that point where an extra bucket was and I could add that bucket to the weird mirror in the other dimension so that I could make my fellow actors on stage 
break because the thing was different. That was very funny. Yeah. That was one of the most stressful shows. <laughs> it was the, when the ceiling leaked. <laughs> yeah, but it was a busy kitchen. Honestly, worth it for the bit of you putting it in the mirror. Oh, totally worth it. Totally but worth it. Honestly, up until that point, the most stressful the <laughs> most stressful time on stage. But when you have people that you trust and your fellow actors and we have each other's backs, it's the th- it was similar, like, backstage was so busy that when somebody joined the show and they were new, we would be able to sort of push them in the right direction. Shove with love. So they wouldn't (laughs) get run over by somebody who had to come off and do a quick change really quick. So you could be having a very casual conversation and then like move somebody two inches to the right and then somebody comes through a door and so forth and then you return them. Yeah, because most of the stress when we were transitioning to New World Stages was not being in the place you needed to be to get on stage in the right spot. It was, where are all the places I cannot ever be in the in these all these moments? That's the thing you had to learn. I always felt like it was a relief when I actually got onto the stage. It's because now I, I knew. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I know what this is. Okay, I can stop sweating. But then you get backstage and it's immediately like, okay, where are my, my lanes? But, you know, that all became second nature, as they said. And you talked about trusting each other from a knowing where to be standpoint but on a somewhat related note also there's a lot of improvised bits throughout the play whether it's the whole giant monologue that zach smith does or i i don't know if the voldemort megaphone thing was improvised or if you had to switch it i know matt said there was like a legal thing that you had to cut out of the tape version but then also just throughout there's different parts of the play where you have option lines and you can say that so getting to be in a play where the script isn't 100% strict what is that like from giving the lines to reacting to someone that you know is going to say something but you don't know what it necessarily will be what is that like being in the actor's shoes in that moment it helps prevent madness in the long run yes oh definitely i mean for for me the, the voldy bits were dealer's choice like you're saying you have all these options and that list grew and grew and grew and i asked for more cuz i enjoyed so much getting to do new things with a character and also where you get to tailor it to the house you have. What are they laughing at? What are they enjoying? What do I think is really going to put them over in this bit versus another one? That was really exciting. And it, you know, it helps you to engage more with the audience in that living theatrical moment. Yeah. I remember, I think I went to a wedding and when I came back, you'd gotten more lines from Matt to add to that section and I didn't know they were coming (laughs) and so we were in the middle of a show and you started doing I think it was like has anyone seen my shoes (laughs) I don't remember which one it was it might have been your uh, uh, maybe it was about like we just had a bunch of furniture left over and we didn't know what we were going to do with the furniture I, whatever it was, I know that I broke very, very much on stage because I was like, what is happening? And it just kept going for so much longer than I thought it was going to happen for. I just turned upstage and like laughed into a wall because I couldn't help myself <laughs> and just hoped no one was looking at me. It was also funny because when we started doing the show and developing the show, there wasn't going to be another giant two-part play and a whole new oh so you started before all that yeah we didn't know any of that was going to happen also we didn't know that the the movies hadn't been announced yeah no so we suddenly we went because it was really important for us as nerds to make sure that if you wanted to wink at this fan art thing that we made that it could exist in the nooks and the crannies of the things you knew there's only one thing we do that contradicts canon Uh, which is Zack Smith coming back in the battle. So the ability to have these points where things are improvised or changed, we got to react to, you know, in addition to it being like, oh, this is our St. Patrick's Day show. This is our Christmas show. We're making jokes about Christmas or St. Patrick's Day or whatever. It could be like, oh, so wizards evidently could poop anywhere and they use magic to (laughs) vanish it away. So, like, that was tweeted out this afternoon and we get to just enjoy that fact and exploring that fact with 200 people tonight. (laughs) So Nick and Alex Haynes and everybody who got to do uh, Zach Smith. Uh, monologues, they had this like sacred duty of providing, as James was saying, like a unique liveness for the audience. It's the souvenir that they get. Yeah. This is what's different than every other time or every other show. The four actors that stayed 
through the entire run were the Zach Smith crew. So Zach, ah. Andy, Steve, and myself. And I, we were, we had a lot of talks at the end and we wondered if that was a coincidence or not, because the show really was really, really different for the four of us. Cause we got to experience a different, <laughs> you know, three uh, to 15 one, minutes, three to 15 minute monologue <laughs> <laughs> every night or, and, or participate in different bits. It, it might totally be a coincidence that it was the four of us, but I also wonder if it wasn't. <laughs> no, that's really fun. I, I like it. I have always preferred doing improv to scripted stuff. And when I was in Seattle, I did plays that were kind of like a hybrid where you had your big check marks that you always hit, but everything in between was improvised. And that was always refreshing for me to not have to walk in and necessarily do the same thing every single time. So that's fun. And it's also fun to hear, James, that like things would grow and you got to add more lines. I believe when I saw it live, it was the Pilates monologue for the megaphone section. And I also, I was at New World Stages when I saw it, and I was in the top section, which is like right next to where Voldemort is. So I remember when I first got there, I was like, oh, these these seats are kind of strange. But then as I was right next to bathrobe Voldemort screaming about Pilates into a megaphone, I was like, just kidding. I have the best seats in the house. (laughs) Specifically for being in New World Stages, when you have to be up there as Voldemort, is that complicated? Like, is that normally a place where actors go? It felt not Is, is running complicated? Is running <laughs> in a bathrobe with a megaphone in your hand complicated? <laughs> Through a Jersey Boys matinee? Here's what yeah. I'm going to say. I, I can't speak for you, James, but I would say of your many places to enter, it wasn't the one that gave us the most problems. No. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> one of the uh, Cedric's first entrance, there was one time I just couldn't hear. But the first time that there was ever a problem with that is that thick door that's not like a meant to be a stage entrance door. It's more like the building's on fire. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Mm-hmm. That kind of door. It was locked. <gasps> so I heard my entrance. The music played. And I, as Cedric, went on the doorknob that refused to turn. Oh, no. And all we saw was a spotlight filled with nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. We all turned our heads and there was nothing there. It was a trust fall (laughs) into a void. Yep. And so (laughs) then they got to see me run in from the audience entrance, not emergency exit entrance, run in from audience entrance and then run behind the whole audience into a spotlight that had been waiting for me with silence. And I bet everyone in the crowd that day went, oh, that was really funny how they did that thing where it made <laughs> yeah, it look course. like Cedric missed his cue. That was very funny. Oh, I'm sh- yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> that is a nice thing about all being puffs. Yeah. Anytime something goes wrong, we're like, yeah, it was a purposeful bit. Yeah. But I, I would imagine in that space, most shows do not use that balcony to perform on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it feels like an audience-only space. So I was incredibly surprised to see Voldy up there. There is a... In the back of that theater behind the set, there is a little balcony on the stage. But the first time I saw the ladder going up to that space, I was like, oh, we are not using this. This is incredibly dangerous. (laughs) The show is way too fast for this. So uh, we cut that idea pretty quickly, which is why, why... James sees the audience balcony instead. Yeah. Even going up there, which I said, as I said, I loved, like I kept a death grip on the, uh, the pole up there at the corner where I was for that low railing so that the Voldy bit doesn't end with me flipping over (laughs) (laughs) into the the house. Oh, that part where Voldy fell on top of a bunch of people was great. (laughs) Oh boy. Oh man. Well, this was really fun. I thank you all so much for taking the time to talk about the play and give some behind the scenes info and insight into it. I genuinely like the show a whole lot. I'm not just saying that because I'm on a Zoom call with a bunch Thank of you. you. Like I, you. I liked it when I saw it live. I enjoyed watching the replays of it and just getting to talk to Matt and you all. And I'm talking with more of the actors later on. It's just uh, it's just great. And it's nice to know that the people putting it on are as nice as their uh, puff counterparts in the play themselves. So thanks all for taking the time. If if there's stuff that you want to promote, I know you guys are doing a, a YouTube Choose Your Own Adventure series right now. So. Yeah, it's a choosical. It's the birth of choosical theater. <laughs> um, yeah, it's called uh, Guy Choiceman Decides to Save America, the choosical, where you do the chooses. It's a treasure trove slash Pandora's box of jokes. Each of the performances is completely different. Um, you can find more details on that at mattcoxland.com. Um, we have a bunch of 
charity readings that we had done of the like the sequel place in the Puffs Tetralogy. Uh, and those are on YouTube at the Ultra Corporation channel. And you can still donate to those charities if you want to. Oh, if you want uh, to watch nice. those and if you're inspired. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's no limit. There's yeah. no limit, yeah. You can always <laughs> donate to yeah. charity. If you like Puffs, those are a, a good uh, humorous time as we kind of improvise a franchise around our characters. Um, yeah. Uh, which we're working on a new season of a podcast I do with um, my wife and a very good friend of ours called uh, Dragons, Sexy Robots, and Adventures. <laughs> yes. Uh, nerd history podcast, um, you know, covering things like Black Panther and Afrofuturism and what that means and um, various other topics and like how things were made. Uh, and I'm currently narrating a uh, steampunk uh, YA series called The League of Seven that is about uh, seven young heroes from all over the world of all different cultures coming together to face uh, kaiju-like monsters that sleep beneath the ground and sea. So. Nice. That's great. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy you were promoting the podcast because I remember when we met like two years ago at a LeakyCon, it was before I even knew Puffs existed. And James, you came up to me and you were like, hi, I played Cedric in the in one of the original things of Puffs. And I was like, what's Puffs? And he was like, it's good. You should check it out. And I'm just proud of myself for not losing. I had your email address on a business card and I didn't lose it for two years, which I think is an accomplishment. That is. My goodness. <laughs> That's fantastic. I was going to mention at the end of this, I was like, oh, I won't mention in the show. Like afterwards, like, hey, do you remember me? Me, you know, <laughs> I do. Yeah, that's great. You were at uh, whatchamacallit? We were at PodCon in Seattle. Oh, it was PodCon? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I couldn't remember if it was a PodCon or a LeakyCon, but I do have a big business card. It's, of course, it's my own card with your information scribbled on top of it. And then on the back, I just wrote Cedric from Puffs in quotation marks because <laughs> <laughs> I still didn't know what Puffs was at the time. Whatever that is. <laughs> that old thing. No, but I'm glad we got to make it work. Oh, if you're interested in something else on the on our YouTube channel, uh, Matt has this other show called uh, Kapowie Go Go. Uh, and I play the titular in that and the link to the first two episodes of that are also on the YouTube channel. Yeah, that's a our giant epic. Uh, everything you liked after school in the mid to late 90s slash early aughts mashed up into a totally original comedy narrative. It's really fun. I'm sorry. That was my stomach. It just made a really awful noise. I don't know if it picked up. I'm so is, sorry. No, it's okay. If your if your stomach is looking to promote feeding, my it. stomach also made noises, Ellie. So you're not okay. Alive. I felt like I was gurgling all over the place, and I was like, "Thank God, everyone else is somewhere else with these audio files because my stomach is loud." I'm sorry. I have a very advanced audio editing software. It does have D tummy grumble in it, so it'll just Grace. ask that right That's from amazing. the file. I was like, hopefully, I can noise gate my stomach. <laughs> sorry. It was all great, guys. Thank you so much for coming. Except for Ellie, I had to cut all your audio. I understand. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Ellie. Thank you, Ellie's stomach. It was great to have all of you here. No, but seriously, thank you all so much for joining. I really do appreciate it. Well, thanks for thank having you. us. Yeah, this is a fun time. And uh, we'll close out this as we close out every episode of the podcast by saying the catchphrase that they definitely say in the official books in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter every time they successfully perform a spell. Wizard on. Wizard on. Wizard on. Wizard on. Wizard on. I love that. (laughs) I love it, too. Hey, you know one of those other podcasts I do, Horace? The basketball one? Well, we are doing a live show on April 1st. I promise it's not an April Fool's joke. Adam and I are going to be doing a very visual-based edition of Horse since we will have a live stream at our disposal. We're calling it the better All-Star game because we're safe, unlike the actual NBA All-Star game that happened this year that was unsafe, and thankfully nobody got really sick from it. But if you want to go and see that and get tickets for it, you can go to bit.ly slash horse live four one. So that's bit.ly slash horse live and then the number four and then the number one. It's going to be a really fun time. Potterless was created by Mike Schubert. It is hosted by Mike Schubert. It is edited by Mike Schubert. It is produced by Mike Schubert as well as Vicky Garcia, Christine, Aaron Johnson, Klaus Lopu, Marchismo, Juan Sanfilio, Rosemary, Dodge, Marie, Lisa C. Keen, Audra, Eleanor Curlin, Nikita Power, Rachel Guthrie, Zachary Polito, Alex Consolver, John Cocker, Noel Basile, Claire Spencer, Rory Collier, Veronica Bartova, Lada Bartova, Noah, Tracy Toya, Colleen, Jennifer Marklu, Justin Montero, Jacob Parrish, Maya Gray, Mark Body, Polly Burge, Zena Rosnowski, Harlan Haskins, Noelia, Nikki Harris, Kine, Amanda. 
Mehmet Alfred, Kafir Shaltiel, Sarah Shetter, Marta Morrison, Maya Flor Sake, Georgia Davis, Skyla Lilly, Adele Ryan, Professor Threat, Ellie Hoskovchova, Michael David Yordi, Kelly Otilio, Kerry Crumpler, Connie Binkowski, Jen Went, Nedry OS, Will Huser, Marco Cepeda, Marie Rieger, Ashton Gabrielson, Brittany Gutierrez, Phelan, The Meadows Family, Ginny from the Block, Heather Langeel, Kevin Stewart, Jarl Spivan, Peter McGrath, Jan and Rose Daub, Callahan and Darius, Leah Reed, Bella Barlack, Melanie Demi, Becca Spry, Reese Dignan, Adam Graham, Joseph Torp, Madison, Don't Call Me Nymphadora, Sabrina Balsiger, Sophia Loves Pigs, Farzan Jarabat, Melanie DeGrave, Matt Barger, Okamahime, Bony Pony, Kelsey Gillespie, Rike Mangor Jensen, Taylor Payne, Megan Moon, Riley Kitas, Laurel Happy, Erica Butler, Miranda, Kendra Hertz, Natanya Page, Yogan Shanley, Darcy Alexandra Harrison, Sandra Rose, Craig McRoberts, Lior Nachum, Demi Lynn, Michelle Spurgeon, Henrika Wolf, Casey Canales, Megan Stempen, Zat, Jack Gitzes, Sophia Leone, Dane Nemcher, Robin Garcia, Chick Parr, Mermaid and her Daddykins, Gregory Hughes, Call Call, Mother Feathers, Nina Jazalik, Ribbon Monstrosity, Brittany Harper, Gavin Miller, Jack Parr, Serenity Allen, Emily Quinlan, Haley Hastings, Sabrina Casanova, Jenny Browers, Laura, Gila, Eileen Gazesh, Annette Pipitone, Kirsten R. Cunningham, Hufflepuff alumni, Brett Clausen, Mary Price, Artemis, Trans People or People, Samantha McNamara, Nina Campley, Tatiana Schmitova, Taylor Roberts, Karis Davies, Little Vomit Spiders Running Around, Tony Joe McHufflepuff, Punkfish, Wire Warrior 4976, Catherine Carrollchak, Joe Sander, Michael Peavy, Maya Saunders, Jasmine Ellis, Neely, Tate Sasson, Sam Sam Reeves, Steamed Nuggets, and Cat Eye Potter. Web designed by Kelly Schubert, and the music is by Bettina Kumbamanis. If you want to find us on social media, you can at Facebook.com slash Potterless, Twitter.com slash Potterless Pod, Instagram.com slash Potterless Podcast, and Reddit.com slash R slash Potterless. For any and all information about the show, you can go to PotterlessPodcast.com. Bonus content lives at Patreon.com slash Potterless. Merch lives at PotterlessPodcast.com slash Merch. The charity raffle lives at PotterlessPodcast.com slash Raffled Prints. And that new Kickstarter that I talked about in the intro, that will be live at bit.ly slash Modern Muckraker starting on March 30th. If you think of someone that might like Potterless, you want to tell them about the show, that would really help a ton. Just shoot them a message and say, hey, there's this podcast. I think you would really like it. Here's where you can listen. Or if you want to post about it on social media or leave a rating interview on iTunes, those also help the show a lot. Thanks again so much for listening. And until next time, as they say in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, Wizard on! It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.